Today's TribCast is presented by St. David's Healthcare. Here's to the life we love and for the lives we're for. St. David's Healthcare, the best is here. Learn more at stdavids.com. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas got Hi, I'm Amy Chozik. I cover Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign for the New York Times. Probably because I'm also a Texan, Evan Smith was kind enough to overlook that I'm at the center of the lamestream liberal media. We can't all be nonprofits, so y'all enjoy this week's Tribcast. Here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the second week of August. I'm joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey, Howdy. who's in Evan Smith's chair, uh, DC bureau chief Abby Livingston. Hello. And reporter Kirby Wilson in one of his final acts as a fellow. Hello. This is the first fellow we it have sounds ever. Sounds when you say it that way. Final <laughs> acts as a fellow. <laughs> funny way to funny way to make the announcement. Yes, Kirby, I'm do you have something you want to tell us? <laughs> well, I'm also making my podcast debut, so I thought that was noteworthy. And uh, uh, since Evan Smith isn't here, uh, I heard you guys needed somebody to occupy the baseball fan, vegetarian, loudmouth corner. So that's definitely the loudmouth wow. corner, so word, at least. Word in edgewise. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, well, Ross, we're going to kick off with you and talk about the Bush family a little bit. Uh, the Bushes are known. Oh, for, I know they're known for their distaste for Donald. Donald Trump. Uh, there was that whole Jeb Bush running for president thing. Um, you know, the Bush, um, former Bush presidents have not exactly been big fans of Donald Trump. What? And and, and Grandma it, Bush. It yeah, to, nobody went to Ohio, right? Nobody went to Ohio. And Barbara Bush has had even sort of uh, tougher words for Trump. What is going on with uh, young George P., the state's land commissioner? Well, you know, one way to look at this could be the only guy with a political future in front of him is endorsing <laughs> Trump. Um, everybody else is kind of done at this point. You know, the presidents aren't running against again. Uh, Jeb Bush, you know, won the John Connolly Trophy this year for most money spent for the fewest number of delegates, and um, I don't know that he'll be back again. Um, he didn't look like he really had it. You know, he Jeb Bush looked this time like he was running because his mom made him do it or something. He never really had any passion for it, or seemed to. But George P. is trying to make his way. You know, we saw the first kind of glimmer of this at Tribfest in 2014. I think right before he was elected, uh, Evan Smith had him on stage and said, so if your dad runs for president, it was a speculation at that point. Right. Will you endorse him? If Pop runs for president, you're going to endorse him. And he waffled all over the place. He wouldn't (laughs) wouldn't say, "Ah, I'm not ready to say that yet. Um, For his own father. So now he's in a position where the nominee of the party is Donald Trump. George P. jumped up the other day, I guess unprompted, uh, as far as I could tell, and said... um, this is a tough one for the for the family, but you know I'm going to swallow hard, and this is the nominee I'm behind Donald Trump. Do you think he had to do that? That he was pressured to do that after you know Ted Cruz was so noncommittal at the Republican convention. I mean, is there a lot of pressure on Republicans right now, the establishment Republicans, to sort of get in line and toe the party line? Well, I think there's some of that. I also think that if you're a Bush, you have to uh, spend a certain amount of time not being a Bush style Republican because that's out of style right now. You know, he did that in the in the primaries. He ran to the right of where you would have expected his father or his uncle or his grandfather to run. Um, and you know, he's a different he's he's a Republican in a different age, and he has to be a different kind of a Republican. And I think part of the friction that we're seeing here is that difference. And if I might jump in, it's almost like a microcosm of the entire Republican Party because. Right. 
these people that you're starting to see come out and endorse Hillary who are Republicans, for instance, everyone, uh, I can't remember, uh, I think it was a New York state congressman, or not New York congressman, um, he endorsed, and the little the little thing no one really talked about was he's retiring. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I, I think it's less about pressure from the party rather than do you want a year from now to be somehow responsible for Hillary Clinton being in the White House when we've forgotten about Donald Trump, we've moved on, can that be bludgeoned against you for the rest of your career? And that's what I think makes Ted Cruz's decision so fascinating is because he's, although not facing an election this year, uh, he is certainly got somebody, he's certainly somebody with a a long political future. And so I think the fact that he's zagging when everyone else is zigging is something that we should all be paying attention to. Mm -hmm. I mean, so what's George P's political calculus and how does he go home for Thanksgiving? (laughs) Well, you know, the, the first question is, you know, the Republican Party as it stands, Texas is on the conservative end of the pool. He's a Texas statewide official. He's up for re-election in 2018. Uh, chances are he's probably, you know, if, if things go as they're going today, he would be running for a um, statewide office in a Hillary Clinton midterm. But there's always the chance that Donald Trump turns this around and you're running in a Donald Trump midterm. So you want to be as good with Republican voters as you can be so that you can weather whatever storm is ahead. I don't think anybody really knows yet how the Ted Cruz thing is finally going to go down with voters. You know, we've talked about this a lot. I think he's probably in better shape in Texas with Texas Republicans than he might be with national Republicans, even after the thing at the national convention. But George P. doesn't have that kind of name ID uh, or that kind of um, firm impression on voters. He's got the name ID without an impression. So they're going to look at him and say, is this another Bush? That's kind of out of style. Or are they going to look at him and say, oh, this is a different kind of a Bush? I think he's building his brand. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is also the GOP victory chairman in Texas. So how much of, of what he says is about protecting down-ballot races? There's only one to protect. I mean, you, know, the, <laughs> you know, Abby's been covering that, the CD23 race. A kind of a fascinating caveat on that. I've been talking, I was talking to a senior Democratic operative uh, who monitors house races, and I just asked, thinking I already knew the answer to the question, this person answered it exactly how I expected, but... We're seeing Trump crater in the polls, favorability ratings. Is there any chance any Republican in Texas could get caught napping beyond the Texas 23 race? Could we see somebody go down? And this Democrat said, no, they drew the maps way too well. Like right. in a kind of tip of the hat to the Republicans. Like it, they're just, the there's just nothing to be, it is just so in stone right now in the state. So it's it, Texas 23 is where it's at, at least on the federal level. Right. We have a, uh, a out of out of left field question coming in on Facebook, and that's from Jamie. Is Dan Patrick running for Cornyn's seat? I don't think you know Cornyn's seat isn't up yet. You know, the first one up is Cruz's seat in eighteen. You know, uh, twenty twenty is a long way off. Um, uh, Patrick will be in the range of seventy years old. The question then, if you're running for the United States Senate, is you know you're young enough to run for that office, you're young enough to win that office, you're probably younger than half the Senate, Uh but still takes six years or 12 years to become a real player in the Senate. And you'd have to say, you know, at that that point in your life, do you want to make that climb? Right. And if someone challenged John Cornyn, it cannot be understated how beloved he is in Republican circles. That doesn't matter you know, the, he is, if he's beloved in Washington. Right. But you would see such an onslaught of money, 
and defensive posturing. It is, he is just liked. And it, so it would be a very emotional thing for many, many entities in the Republican mm-hmm. Party. And, and depending on a certain mid-Atlantic state, he might be the number one guy in the Senate by then. Right, <laughs> right. right. Uh, well, just like Jamie, you can ask questions via Facebook Live. So please uh, tune in and, and hit us up. Uh, speaking of Cruz, uh, he's been laying sort of really low in the aftermath of the RNC, uh, where he drew some boos and reprimands, like we said, for not endorsing Trump. Uh, I still think this is going to be a move that will turn out to be genius, but we've argued that point already. You're just going to hold your ground. <laughs> I am going to. Uh, lots of folks are seething, and including some Republicans who are talking about potentially putting somebody up you know, to primary him. What's the latest on that? So I would clarify the people who I understand are in these conversations, and I'm, I'm not able to say names at this point, but um, these are not people who love Deep Donald Trump. who love Donald Trump and want to defend his honor in any way. These are people who never liked Ted Cruz. These are the people who would not consolidate behind him when it was Trump versus Cruz. This is an opportunity to go after him in a way that they haven't had. So it's it's more of opportunistic rather than Trump. Um, One person did say it was rude what Ted Cruz did. That was the word. (laughs) I just never... That day at the convention, I never expected Cruz to endorse. I, I just, I imagine he was doing the Reagan playbook of 76 and that he, I was just, I was on the floor when the booze went down and I was just, I was startled. Um, so that's that's my sense on where this is coming from. Um, I think, and I, have, I don't have any insight into Michael McCall's brain, but I think what's important to remember is the history of this seat. People were jostling for this seat going back to 2009. And so there were so many people who looked in the mirror and saw a future senator. And, it ended, and they were all scared off by David Dewhurst. And then this no-name money. Yeah. This no name guy no one had even heard of, Ted Cruz, wins it. And so, you know, I do think that there might be some people wondering, was Ted Cruz really that phenomenal of a candidate and a campaigner and a strategist? Or was there were there weaknesses in David Dewhurst that anyone could have exploited? Well, I think this, the answer to those things is the same thing. I think he saw the weaknesses, you know, and, and, you know, in fact, I sat down with him at the very beginning of that race and said, you know, kind of, what are you doing? And he described the weaknesses. I mean, he kind of described the race. I thought he was you know, whatever else you can say about Ted Cruz, this guy's a, a planner and a strategist, and he's really, really good at it. And so if you were one of those guys who passed on that race and sat back and watched that go down, is there any regret? And I'm not just speaking McCall. If there was somebody else like, I missed my shot. Is this my shot now? And so I, that's some, some of the mindset that I've at least been thinking on in my own head. Mm-hmm. I got to think Cruz has got to be the sickest guy uh, of all the people that didn't end up winning their uh, primaries because... I mean, I see every day in the news there's another Trump unforced error, but at the same time, Hillary Clinton, there's a New York Times story today talking about how she gave favorable uh, considerations to people who donated to the Clinton Foundation, and the right. Omar Mateen's dad is at her rally, and like there's all these mm-hmm. wacky things going on with her, but because Trump is Trump, there's just it's not getting the same coverage. I think I Ronald think. Reagan, just for point of reference, was down 22 points to Jimmy Carter at this point. Mm-hmm. Also, I like these that mid-1970s reference from someone who wasn't alive then. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and this is taking, and I'm still not there on the thought process, but we also attended the Democratic Convention, and the refrain on 2018 was, some people said it publicly, some people said it privately, was Democrats could have a shot at it if Donald Trump wins the presidency. Right. So there's a backlash. Mm-hmm. So imagine if you have a situation where you have a brutal civil war on the Republican side, and then you have a Democratic 
situation in the midterms. I, situation. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> could it could it be something that national Democrats actually spend money on Texas? I don't know. So it's it's a it's a perfect storm that has to materialize. But it would be interesting to watch. I mean, you uh, had you had Kane here. Is he still in Texas? He was here yesterday, basically saying, you know, this is a place you all are important to us. We do invest here. I he think. said to yeah. all of the money people in the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Before he turned around and practiced his Spanish with someone else. <laughs> right. So. I, you know, I think the Cruz thing is interesting. I don't think he's in nearly. I don't think he's in any kind of peril, really, in Texas. He's got like 100% name ID. He's basically, you know, Texas voters sent a guy to Washington because his middle finger was raised. And <laughs> he raised his middle finger now, and it's not like false advertising or something. I think right. his, his troubles are much more in the places that you need to convince Republicans to be a presidential candidate in 2020. Mm -hmm. Unless the Republican Party really stumbles badly or Cruz makes a terrible mistake or somebody with, you know, a golden reputation and a pile of money and runs against him in 2018. I just don't think he's in trouble here. Mm -hmm. If you're Mike McCall, nobody knows who the hell you are outside of Washington and Austin. Um, he's the second richest guy in... He goes back and forth, but I think he's the second right, right. now. Right. He's, you know... Um, in the in mar Congress. Married into mm -hmm. the yes. Clear Channel radio fortune, and, you know, he could self-finance a race... But you'd have to spend a ton of money to catch up with Cruz just on name ID. Also, and does then he even want it? I mean, he is. So, so talk us through some of the names who have been floated as possible um, contenders to Cruz. So, McCall. I think McCall stands out because of his personal money. Mm -hmm. That's where it separates him from everyone else. Mm -hmm. uh, it's easy to encourage somebody to yeah, run right, when you when don't have to spend anything on it. Hey, you should dollars. go spend your money on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I, there have been denials, Dan Patrick, George P. Bush. So, I, I think, and I, I just. I am dubious of all. My favorite quote on politics is from Peter Jennings from many years ago. A couple of weeks is an eternity in American politics. So at the Republican convention, people were saying it was political suicide. And I was I just think that we have to let the dust settle, dust settle from the presidential. And then in February, it'll look it could look very, very different. And he still even has time to endorse if things look better for Trump. I mean, he's not like he's already if, played his card. I think if he endorses, he looks like a wet rag. I think, but, I, think, I mean, well, in last last August, he's saying, you know, the, the establishment's best hope is of a, 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 a war, war between me and he's fantastic. Deal with it. So, I mean, you know, it's not like he's, he's been consistent the whole time about Trump either. Also, a good detail from Patrick Svitek's uh, piece about uh, Cruz's barnstorming campaign that's going on right now is that he's now on Snapchat. So follow Ted Cruz on Snapchat. Oh, even better. And the Texas Tribune. <laughs> yeah, and the Texas Tribune. So, I mean, so what's Ted Cruz back doing at home here? You know, he clearly knows he probably has some fences to mend, which is why he's focusing very narrowly on Texas. And I imagine that some of the people who loved that middle finger vote before are not thrilled. I mean, there are a lot of Texans, Tea Party Texans, who, you know, really, really wanted him to get behind Trump. So what's he doing here? He's basically touring the state in his official capacity as a senator, um, and he's in San Antonio today. Uh, regarding the emotion of his backers, at the De Texas delegation breakfast where all of this sort of exploded, there were some reports there were boos. I never heard a boo. It was more just confusion, just not understanding Ted Cruz, and they were shouting out questions. And it was... They weren't hating on him. They just couldn't understand where he was coming from. And then Sound the, like booze on TV. The <laughs> anger escalated from there right. through the course of the day. And so it was it was more just like perplexion that was very, very emotional. And so I, I'm curious how this all plays out. And it, I think so much depends on Trump and how he finishes, because this is just such a I've just never seen anything like this. And so in, in January, we're going to look at this and say, 
oh, okay, well, Ted Cruz is looking pretty good now if you're a conservative. He's got a textbook political problem right here, and, and he's handling it exactly right. He goes to Washington. He runs for president. He doesn't have a pile of legislative accomplishments, and he comes home and says, I want to run for reelection. And he has to say, here's what I've done for you. I've been in the state. He's got to establish himself as a Texas senator and not as just a national guy running for president. And you do that by all of the hits that he's making now and, you know, I assume during the next year or so. Uh, it's going to be probably in the range of 15 months from now that you start to see, if you see any serious candidates running against him, that you see them seriously in the water somewhere in the middle of next spring. Uh, next summer, people are going to be declaring and starting to throw elbows and will be in the race. So he's just laying the groundwork for Ted Cruz, Texas senator, send me back to right. Washington. I mean, look what's happened since he declined to endorse Trump. Trump has, you know, offended Muslim Americans in a huge way, you know, accused the the mom of a gold star, you know, recipient of not speaking publicly because of her religion. And now this week is, you know, making some kind of uh, allusions to, you know, the Second Amendment folks, you know, uh, what potentially turning to violence to, to pre- prevent a Clinton presidency. I mean, it. I still think Ted Cruz is going to come out looking like the smartest guy in the room in just a couple of months here. I I still think there's a part of the Republican Party, particularly in the 2020 presidential run-up, that is going to look at him like the second-string quarterback who didn't get the start, so he burned his jersey. It just looks like a, you know, he doesn't look like a, looks like a sore loser. And if you're running against him in a Republican primary, if your name's Kasich or whoever runs in that thing, you're going to say, look, there's a way to do this and a way not to do this. Ted didn't do it the right way. There's a fine line exactly what the people were saying to me. I don't know. I think there's a fine line between, you know, sore loser and standing on principle. And depending on the outcome of the race, it's going to look one way or the other. Well, and the interesting thing on that was that what was fascinating to me was he pointed to the family insults. And, you know, and he stood on that and he got booed for it. George P. Bush was in the same situation. Think of how many things Donald Trump said about his uncle and his father. And it, you just had two, you had a family about issue. Hispanics, I mean, the list goes uh, on. You can call my family names. We're used to it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that, I just find that a fascinating dichotomy. His mom, who's not even really ever wanted to be a very public figure. Uh, and I mean, Trump. Yep. I mean, and she's felt like she needed to come out. I mean, I just think, right, at which point is offending your family, you know, I don't know. He went pretty far with Cruz, basically calling his wife ugly were, and his They were both playing hardball, you know. I don't, it's never okay to call someone's wife ugly. I don't, I'm not going to defend him calling his wife <laughs> ugly. I'm just going to say, it's like one of those fights where it's like, you're one, and oh yeah, well, you're another. You know, yeah. they just, they, they both did a lot of stuff. I, I found the JFK assassination comments extraordinary. Oh, that was amazing. What is 2016? Seriously, I can't I, believe <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Ross, how did we get to this point? This tabloid race. You know, and I was talking to somebody yesterday, a Republican who was, um, who he's a Texas Republican in Fort Worth. He's been at it for a long time. He's a, you know, devout Republican. And he's sort of wrestling with the Trump thing. And we were talking and I said, you know, the things that you're griping about are not really about Trump. They're really about the voters who elected Trump. And whatever happens to him, they're still going to be here. And I think that's really the case, like you talk about in January and, and from there forward into 2018, into 2020. What's the Republican Party saying about itself? Where are they? Trump or no Trump, loss or win, how does the party go forward? I think the George P's of the world and the Ted Cruz's 
are kind of the front edge of trying to figure that out. And they're both going to be really interesting characters. Right. What do we do with the angry white male vote? I mean, well, and I thought this was one of the best points. I don't remember who said it, but um, Barry Goldwater, and I was born in 1994 for reference, but Barry, <laughs> Barry Goldwater in, in 1964, uh, you know, went down in flames famously uh, against LBJ. And everyone said, well, this is the death of the conservative movement. And then 16 years later, we got Ronald Reagan. So, uh, I, I mean, so is there going to be a similar thing with this alt-right or with this very uh, sort of more protectionist, uh, nationalistic strain that we see coming out of uh, Trump's camp? Mm-hmm. Um, well, speaking of things that nearly happened before Kirby was born, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Donald Trump and NAFTA. Uh, no, that was America. before I was born. Yeah. It, it came to effect January first, nineteen ninety four. I was born. I knew I was close. He's just going to drill us with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, Were you right. leaving? <laughs> yeah. Friday. So, right. Yeah. All right, Ross. You've got just a couple more days to bring it. Uh, all right. So let's talk about Trump and NAFTA. Um, Trump has called NAFTA a disaster. Um, Texas <clears throat> Republicans have a far more nuanced approach to it. What is this? this disconnect and who's on what side of the fence here? Yeah, so it's really no interesting. <laughs> yeah, no. right. uh, so it's uh, maybe <laughs> who's on what side of the wall yeah, might be right. more appropriate. Uh, it's really interesting because uh, there are a lot of different uh, claims that both sides could bring up about the flaws with NAFTA. A lot of, uh, say if you're an Ohio Republican, it's easy to say that NAFTA took jobs away from uh, you know good, good paying manufacturing jobs in the Midwest. But Texas Republicans can't really make that argument because Texas has benefited so heavily from the geographical proximity to Mexico. There's a $90 billion export, uh, I mean, there's $90 billion in exports just to Mexico uh, from Texas. And then the second biggest trading partner is Canada, the uh, the two countries that you know are the link linked up with the United States in NAFTA. So a lot of the congressional Republicans realize that Texas has benefited greatly from NAFTA and maybe more than any other state. And so when the presidential candidate gets on gets on TV and says it's the worst trade deal in history and it's a disaster, uh, they don't really have a leg to they, they, they can't they can't back him up on that. So it's important to note that Trump has some allies in Texas on this particular issue, right? I mean, the state party platform calls right. for immediate withdrawal from NAFTA. Right. But the uh, the Republican Party of Texas explained that to me. It, it's more of a grassroots. That platform, there must have been someone who felt very strongly about. Like much of the platform. Well, <laughs> of well, course. Yeah. I've heard them try this. You know, the thing they did this year at the state Republican convention was they went, they gave everybody this um, ballot where the delegates to the convention voted on every single plank in that platform. So oh. all of their delegates voted, you know, virtually all of their delegates voted for everything. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can't hang it on well, one guy in a right. committee. That's a good yeah. point. I mean, I've heard them try to do this. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, it might not be just one guy, but I mean, the, the person who brought it up might have felt especially strongly about it. And there is plenty of anti-NAFTA mm-hmm. resentment nationally and anti-free trade resentment, especially among the Trump's base, uh, which has had a louder political cycle. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, another thing is that John Cornyn said, you know, NAFTA is not a dirty word in Texas. And I think he's right in a lot of ways, um, but he's wrong in that f- trade deals, free trade deals with foreign nations among Republicans in Texas are polling three to one against them, according to UT Austin. Uh, and I think that might have something to do with TPP more than mm-hmm. NAFTA. Right. Um, and there actually is a rational, <laughs> not that saying NAFTA is bad is irrational, but there is a rational argument against that because a lot of the trade equilibrium that has been uh, brought about as a result of NAFTA might be disrupted by TPP, for instance, 
uh, auto manufacturers or uh, from Mexico going to the, you know Texas might benefit from going to Vietnam or whatever. Right. Um, uh, so you called how many members of Congress and got how many responses on? You were trying to pin them down basically, right? right on whether there's, they there's s- a difference in how many he called. And how many responses. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So there are 27 uh, Republican members of the Texas congressional delegation. I called all of them. I gave them multiple days to respond, and three came back to me with statements. None of them agreed to be interviewed, and they all those that responded came back and said NAFTA has been good for Texas, which I think any rational person might say, unless you're approaching at it from a left, more anti, like an anti-NAFTA left angle, which is that kind of bur- a la- uh, labor like a, angle, usually the, yeah. the labor, a Bernie or, Sanders angle. Well, no, or the immigration debate, right. which is right. uh, you know, which is probably valid that it's it, you know that the Mexican farmers were undercut by cheap United States corn, uh, and so they went to wherever the better labor prospects were, which was America. But it's t- it's a tough argument for a Republican to say NAFTA is the the source of our immigration problems. You know, that's And who were the Republicans who ended up responding to you? Uh, I got Lamar Smith, who voted for NAFTA in 93. Uh, and I got Will Hurd, which is interesting that he uh, made a stance because he's, you know, he's, he's in, in a the, tough race. He's in the race, yeah. Well, um, he also has more than half of the Texas-Mexico right. border in his district. So. Right. And then John Cornyn's uh, staff pointed me to that, the comments that he had made, um, Calling you know NAFTA isn't a dirty word. If you're taking apart the so-called Texas miracle, you know the whole Perry thing and all of that. You know one of the, it's not the only thing, and it may not even be the chief thing. But NAFTA is an important component of how the state's done for the last 20 years. And and you know it's a uh, we have a giant trade uh, business in this state, and it may incidentally hurt other states, but so does stealing companies from other states and moving them to Texas. Right. I mean you know. You fight for yourself, and so if you're if you're playing a Texas game, I think this is where some of these guys are running into trouble. If, if you're playing a Texas game, this is pretty straight up, and if you're playing a national game, it's a different answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it would have been absolutely fascinating to see Ted Cruz as the Republican nominee for this exact reason, because That's true. It, you know he's a very anti these free trade. Well, actually. I'm not really sure where he stands on TPP because he was pro fast track and then anti. Right. But but anyway, um, it'd be fascinating to see what he would have had, had to say about NAFTA, um, given that it's pretty unpopular nationally, it would seem. Well, we touched on uh, CD23, Congressional District 23. Abby, could you give us the lay of the land in that race? You know, who, talk about our contenders and sort of what the what the big sort of issue fights are over and, and what the polling is looking like. So it's it's a rematch. Rematches in Congressional races tend to be pretty intense, and so it's uh, freshman Congressman Will Hurd. Uh, we just t- one of the few people who responded on <laughs> NAFTA, right. yeah, and Re- Republican. He Republican, and he is facing off against Pete Gallego, the man he ousted from Congress almost two years ago. Former state legislator. Right. Yep. Yes, and so it is. Uh, the district is one of the largest in the country geographically. It stretches from San Antonio to El Paso and encompasses the border. And uh, for me, I've been watching this district for several cycles, and it is very difficult to read. The turnout is very unpredictable. Um, And so it is, I would say the issues are not at the forefront of this. It is all about Donald Trump. And uh, how does, you have an incumbent, Will Hurd, who was raised a whole lot of money. And we are about to see that go into effect in television advertising. Is he the only black Republican in Congress? No, there's a, another one, uh, Mia Love in Utah, and in the Senate there's Tim Scott um, from South Carolina. And so um, there is, it is going to be a brutal ad campaign, and Will Hurd is going to have a lot of money, which is important because candidates can secure a lower ad rate on the federal level than super PACs. So he will get more bang for his buck. Um, and from what I can see, 
uh, we are expecting outside groups to come in and defend him. And uh, Democrats will defend Pete Gallego as well. Uh, but it, it is generally expected Democrats will spend less money everywhere because they have less money. Um, and so it is the ads have already started uh, very slowly. They're going to amp up after Labor Day. Um, and it is going to be a brutal fight. And these two men do not like each other. Um, <laughs> and it is the only race in Texas. And so you're going to have all of the energy where, you know, Ohio is going to have interesting races in Pennsylvania and congressional and presidential. This is all there is in Texas. And so this is going to involve the entire apparatus of both parties um, and uh both men are very beloved in their parties. Will Hurd has uh, really impressed Paul Ryan. Um, Paul Ryan's come down several times. Uh, it is important to Paul Ryan that he wins. Uh, but on the other hand, Pete Gallego is a sentimental favorite on the Democratic side, and there's a lot of Democrats who want to see him win. Um, and so the question is, um, I believe, Ross, uh, do you know off the top of your head how many times, uh, this is a Republican presidential district generally by a couple points, right? It, yeah, it just marginally. It, it tends to, the last six cycles, it's voted for Democrats in presidential election years and Republicans in gubernatorial election years. I.e. lower but turnout years. But it's always, it's, it's always, well, and the turnout pattern's different. Right. Um, you know, one of the advantages that Hurd has that, um, the previous Republicans didn't have. He's he seems to be more popular with the San Antonio Republicans. Yes. Who didn't jump over and support the Democrats in these races, but sometimes just kind of oh, I've got other things to do and went and did other things. I think they're going to probably be fighting for herd this time. And remember that San Antonio has become more politically complicated in recent years in local elections. Yeah, there's a lot of Democratic bodies in the ditch by the side of the road in the last <laughs> couple of three cycles. Right. Well, and the team that won the mayor's race is also several of the same people who work for Will Hurd. Right. Ivy Taylor. Mm -hmm. Ivy Taylor. And so um, I, I have not seen any public polling that I really feel confident quoting right now, but what I, that I can speak of on the record. What I can say is I don't think it's going to be a question whether or not Hillary Clinton carries this district. I think she will. If the polling, the question is, is how that, much- That would actually be something. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not doubting that. I'm just, that would, that would be a thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I could be eating my words in November, but the we question- We often do. <laughs> All of us. Yeah. The, Especially Evan. The question <laughs> Will Hurd is facing- We'll say Evan said it. Uh, <laughs> the question for Will Hurd is- he is doing everything right as an incumbent. He has all of he's leveraged every single ounce of what you can do as an incumbent to outraise your opponent. But how much can he outperform Donald Trump? And and that is that is the question. And that is the question facing every person in a competitive district. Now, at the Republican convention before and that, that was a lifetime ago. That was before the um, the all of these blowups with Donald Trump. They didn't specifically say Will Hurd's district, but they said that Hillary was not doing well in these congressional districts. I'm curious if that's still the case. Um, and so I think this is how much it is a question of what Donald Trump does to the down ballot for Will Hurd and everywhere. And Democrats are not optimistic. Are they they are within they will not say that the gavel's in play, serious people, but um, they think they can get 15 seats and they can't get 15 unless they pick up Will Hurd. So do you think that this race is going to basically turn into each candidate trying to wrap the other's presidential candidate around their neck? Will Hurd's going to say Gallegos with Clinton. Gallegos almost all say close with Trump. Almost all close races across the country, I bet. Yeah. Are, uh, I mean, that, is there something outside yeah. of it that is, that's just, you know? 
I'm not seeing I haven't much, heard much of that. talk about the issues, honestly. Yeah. It is so hard. I, I, I covered the 2014 House races really closely, and Democrats kept saying, we can our, our candidates stand out. They will beat back the presidential's, president's low ratings. Right. Uh, they're unique. They're running their own races. They've got their own personal brands. And over and over, all over the country, we saw them fall. And so it's, it, it, is, it is going to be, this is uncharted territory and uh, with this dynamic. And so um, I am going to sit back and watch. I, I, I just, it's a fascinating race and I never get it right. So I'm just going to just observe. Has Heard endorsed Trump? And is there a chance that if Trump really craters in the polls that he could disavow him? Uh, he has not endorsed. He has said something to the effect of until he can show respect to women and several groups. You know, he's like, but he's definitely tried to keep his distance. And Pete Gallegos, going back to last November when I interviewed him, he was making this about Trump. And at the at that time, I was like, Trump's not going to be the nominee. <laughs> There you go. I, you know, Never uh, trust the media. This is going to be one of those those stay or fold. They're going to have a stay or fold moment. Everybody in the in the country is going to have a okay. Trump's going to do it. I'm staying with him. Or Trump's going. I'm jumping off the boat. And you know, I don't know that it's sometime a, in October. I don't know that if it's even a question of is he going to do it, but is he going to not embarrass himself? You know, if he loses by five right. points nationally, that's you know that's not great. But it's they won't if right. they stake their political careers on it. It's not going to kill him. But, and then the day after the election. <laughs> 2018 will start, and it'll probably be the same two guys. (laughs) All right. Well, that's all the time we have. If you have questions or comments, you can email them to TribCast at TexasTribune.org. You can also sign up for TribCast alerts at TexasTribune.org slash TribCast. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Ross, Kirby, Abby, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Hi, Mr. Yamaguchi. Would you like another pair of the so-and-so jeans?